Hey Northridge family, I am so excited to tell you about a, a big event that's coming to downtown Plymouth. On Saturday, August 19th, we're doing Northridge in the Park. We're taking over Kellogg Park for a huge worship event. You know, the majority of people in our community have never been in our building, but, but that's okay because the building's not the church, we are. The people of Plymouth don't have to come into our building to experience Northridge. If we all show up, they experience Northridge right there in the middle of downtown Plymouth. And isn't that how it's supposed to be? I'm really hoping on that Saturday night, we will overwhelm Plymouth. We will overcrowd that park, all for one reason, because we want to wake the world up to Jesus and we can do it together. I can't think of a better Saturday night because at 516, Harvey Carey's coming for our unforgettable Saturday night service. And then you hop in your cars and at 716, Northridge in the Park begins. And so let's show Plymouth what Northridge is really all about right there in Kellogg Park. Bring your friends, bring your family, bring your lawn chairs, and make sure you come to lift up the name of Jesus. And Plymouth will never be the same. This song simply says that if God did it before, he'll do it again. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never felt me yet. Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me yet Your promise still stands Great is your
need some worshipers to stand up on your feet. Come on, put your hands together. Come on. If he did it before, he'll do it again. It's the same God, the same God of the Bible. He's still working miracles today. So come on, put your hands together and help us declare this. We've seen him move. Northridge. That was powerful, wasn't it? That's a powerful song and well led, and you sang, and I was singing with you, and I just had the sense that there are a bunch of people here this morning and joining us at a regional campus and watching online that are desperate for those words to be true, that are desperate to believe that a God who did things in the past, a God who did things for characters that maybe we've read about in scripture or people that you know, or maybe in your own life, that he would do it again, that he would do something new. And there are people here in our midst who are here at church for the first time, or here at church or looking in for the first time in a long time, or the first time since that thing happened, desperate for God to show up in their life and move a mountain. And I believe 
that he does. And I believe that he will. And I share that hope with you today. My name's Caleb. I have been here at Northridge three times now. This is like my home away from home here in Plymouth, Michigan. Who knew? Uh, if you are new or you weren't here when I've been here in the past, allow me just to tell you, I lead a church, Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach, California. Rough life, rough life. Uh, they're actually in Huntington Beach this week is the U.S. Open of surfing. Uh, I don't surf, but I will go for a few hours and pretend uh, and maybe take my boys with me. I'm married to a beautiful wife, Hillary. I have two boys, Jack and Henry. And I'll show you a picture of Jack in a moment. But uh, my wife, Hillary, is pregnant with our third. It's a girl due in two weeks. Thank you. So when I asked Hillary, when, when Pastor Brad invited me to be here, I asked Hillary, I told her what the dates were, that it's kind of creeping up and getting close to the prime time, the due date time. She said, oh, it's okay, I got this. You go ahead. Uh, I should explain that my wife is like a Pilates ninja, and she just said, I, I, I'll keep this baby in here until you get back. It's no problem. I'm not sure it works that way, but great, okay. She is a Pilates ninja. She teaches Pilates out of our garage and also at uh, the gym where we work out. And I take the Pilates class from her, which is very humiliating. Uh, I show up and it's me and 29 other women. And I'm the guy in the back making strange noises and suffering through this and not able to finish the exercises. And at the end of it, all sweaty and messy and depressed, I, I feel like we need to go home and arm wrestle, my wife and I, just to reestablish <laughs> some sense of masculinity. Uh, but she is phenomenal, my family is phenomenal, I am grateful, and I am grateful to be here with you in a series called Unforgettable. And uh, I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few minutes an idea, a concept that's unforgettable to me. It's a concept that has shaped me. It's a concept that has made a huge impact in my own life. And it has to do with how we have faith tomorrow. How you have spiritual strength or vitality on a Monday on a Wednesday, when you're not at church or on the mountaintop or with the camp high or with everything going your way, what do we do in the regular moments, in the in-between, in the difficult times, in the in-between seasons of life? Steve Jobs once famously said, the juice goes out of Christianity when the followers of Jesus don't look like Jesus. Which I think is fair, don't you? Because there is this tendency, the longer that you go to church, or if you come from a culture that gives you this expectation that you should look a certain way, you might begin to pretend or go through the motions and, and try to project 
some religiosity, some churchianity, instead of having a real, actual, living, breathing relationship with God. And maybe, maybe you didn't come or resisted coming to church for a long time because those were the kind of people that you saw. And you thought, if that's what God is like, if that's what Jesus is like, I'm not interested. And maybe you said something similar to Steve Jobs. It's interesting that he uses the word juice. The juice comes out of Christianity when the followers don't look like Jesus. Because all throughout scripture, there's references to this idea of fruit. That there should be fruit associated with the lives of people following God, living with God, walking with God on this journey with Jesus. That there should be fruit associated with their life. People have wrestled with attention of what it means to have fruit associated with your life and how to really have a living, breathing relationship with God versus just faking it and pretending. Because if you're anything like me, you, you've grown up in such a way, and, you, and I've been such a person, where the pressure that I felt caused me to want to fake the fruit, caused me to want to project and pretend. It caused me to accidentally begin to go down a road of religious ritual and routine, learning hoops, hurdles, and handshakes to be a part of the club so that people thought that I was a good person or, or looked the part, even if I wasn't experiencing the vitality or the connectedness or the real energy and life change on the inside. People have wrestled with this for a long time, including the famous Apostle Paul. And he, when he was writing to actual people at a specific time and a specific place called Galatia, he wrote this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We like freedom, don't we? I mean, even if you've never been in church before, you like the idea of free. You would prefer to be free than the alternative. I know that about you. It's true of me. It's true of all of us. And Paul is saying that this is God's design for you. This is God's goal for you that you would be free, that you would live free. But then he goes on, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Here's where he's going with this. He's acknowledging that there is this movement toward religion, that there is this current of religion that you can get caught up in. And it will, it will create an expectation in your life that you might be prone to go through the motions or to fake it or to fake and manufacture your own fruit and pretend, and you are freed from that. You don't have to fake it because there is a God who created this heaven and earth and created us who came here, put on skin, died on a cross for the sins of the world because we were all broken, screwed up people, but didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to give us new life and to show us the way he'd always intended us to be human. And so Paul's saying, you're free. You're forgiven. You simply just have to believe it. You don't have to go through all the hoops, hurdles, and learn the handshakes. Jesus took care of it. You, you don't have the shame. You don't walk the streets naked with someone ringing a bell behind you. Shame, shame, shame. You are free. But in your freedom, 
Don't let the pendulum swing the other direction either. Don't just go for it and indulge and binge and go nuts because that's not the way you want to live either. There are built-in consequences for every action. You tell me. When you drink too much, there's a natural consequence. It's called a hangover. God designed you biologically that way to experience that natural consequence. There are built-in consequences for every action. And so when you binge, when you indulge, when you go for it, when you rebel, when the pendulum swings from religion to the other side, rebellion, there are consequences built in. And the shiny thing that you thought was attractive and going to make you happy and fulfill you doesn't. It doesn't deliver on the promise. It can't. And so Paul is saying, you're, you're free from all this religious hoopla. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do the hoops, hurdles, and handshakes. But simultaneously, don't swing the other direction and go bonkers either. That won't satisfy you. There's another way. There's another way to live. He continues in verse 16. He says, so, here's the other way. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by, with, connected to, this invisible spirit of God that Jesus left behind to walk with you, to empower you, to be with you. So walk by the spirit. The fruit of being connected to this spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, you like all those things. I know you do. You would prefer to hang out with people that look that way than people that don't. Those are good things. We want those kind of friends. We want to be those kinds of people. But here's the problem. The more we hang out in cultures and places where there's this religious expectation or where we begin to feel a little bit dry and we think, oh, I, I, I need to look better. Or I want to lead that thing. I need to be presented in a way. I, I, I should be further along than this. Or I want to project this image. We start to think that we can manufacture that fruit ourselves. Or you're dating someone that doesn't want to date you anymore until you have more of that fruit. Which is fine. As long as you don't think that you can manufacture it on your own. As long as you don't become that guy that says, she wants me to be more gentle. Gentleness, gentleness, gentleness. Oh, gentle. Be gentle. Produce fruit. It doesn't work. All you produce is something that smells the way it looks. <laughs> only, only God can produce that fruit in your life. As you walk with his spirit. That's the fruit that he produces. That's what he does. It's not about having a chart on a wall and filling up the different words with gold stars. How am I doing this week on this category? It's different than that. In fact, here's what Jesus said. The same concept, the same idea. When Jesus was walking with his followers, they're on a dirt road, if you can try to picture it. They're walking toward Jerusalem. 
if you can try to picture, he knows that he's headed toward a cross where he will be sacrificing himself for the sins of humanity. The disciples don't get it yet. They're just along for the stroll. But Jesus wants to give them a picture that they will remember when all of this goes down, that they will look back on when they're trying to live connected to Jesus when he's gone. And he gives them this image. They're walking past a vine, a grapevine. And he grabs the vine and he says, gentlemen, I am the true vine. My father, God, your father in heaven, he's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Now, what is a branch that is disconnected from the, from the vine? What do we call that? A stick. A stick. Useful only as kindling or for poking. And Jesus says, you're not a stick. You were meant to be a branch. I am the vine, you are the branch. A branch's job is simply to stay connected to its vine, its life source. Now, when I was in high school, I took AP biology. It was the only AP class I took because it scarred me for life. I had a terrible experience. The teacher was Russian, and she had this thick Russian accent, and I couldn't get it. I couldn't connect to it. It was already difficult to understand. And then the accent and the way, it just, it just didn't work for me. Looking back, her last name was Putin, and so I'm reevaluating everything. <laughs> the only thing I remember from the class, and you botanists and bio people are going to laugh, but th this is my simplistic understanding of it. The only thing that I remember is this concept of phloem and xylem. These two mechanisms that God built into plant life, phloem and xylem, that they take the nourishment from the ground, from the soil, up through the roots, through the vine, to the branches. It's phloem and xylem that operate through the vine and that keep and sustain the branches and their leaves and their fruit. It's not the branch's job to do that function. It's the vine's job. It's working with the phloem and the xylem. That's how God created it. The branch just hangs out. All it needs to do is remain, is stay. And to the degree that it learns to stay is the degree to which it will produce fruit and be healthy and vibrant and fulfill its purpose for being, you, my friends, 
are a branch. And so when you practice what people call spiritual disciplines, habits that help you grow in your faith and your walk with God, you are practicing these habits for the sake of staying. You do not do disciplines for discipline's sake. And some of us have begun to worship the discipline instead of the God. And some of us emphasize that other people must do this discipline because we do this discipline because grandma told me to do this discipline and it's, all, it's become all about the discipline, the thing, and we're dying on the vine. We've separated ourselves from the vine. We have no life and no vitality and we've become the people that Steve Jobs talks about. You stay and you practice spiritual habits for the sake of staying connected. Because you're a branch, it's what you do. You wanna flourish in this spiritual life? Stay. You wanna grow? Remain connected to your life source. He's the God who created you. He's the God who designed you. And when you're disconnected from him, you will wither and die. Some of you are feeling that today. When anxiety has been rushing in, in epic proportions, you're disconnected. When frustration is bubbling and irritation is coming quicker than it usually does, it might be a sign that you, you've allowed yourself to get distracted and disconnected from your sustainer, from your life source. When anger is bubbling up more routinely and more rapidly, when those temptations are, are more attractive, are more enticing, are more real. It's not that you need more discipline for discipline's sake. It's that you need to do whatever you need to do to stay connected to your vine, to your God. I brought a photograph of my son Jack handing his mom a flower. There it is. Jack is four years old and his mom has trained him well, hasn't she? And so Jack knows that when you're coming home from the park, there's this bush that has some flowers on it when they're in bloom. And his mom, Hillary, has taught him that flowers bloom and they can be picked and brought to mom. And so not too long ago, Jack is walking. I'm walking him back from the park. And he sees, he sees the flower that mom taught him blooms. And he calls it a bloom. Dad, there's a bloom. I'm gonna pick it for mom. I'm like, That's great, buddy. I think that she would love that. So he pulls this flower off of the bush thing. We take it back to the house and he's so excited. He runs in, he gives it to mom. Mom, 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 I picked you a bloom. And Hillary is touched, she's thrilled. Her plan is working. <laughs> and she takes the flower and she, Thank you, Jack gives him a kiss and a hug. Mommy loves it when you grab flowers for her. She puts it on the kitchen counter, probably forgets about it because a couple of days later, Jack is eating breakfast at the kitchen counter and he sees the bloom and it doesn't look as good as it did. And he freaks out a little bit and he says, Mom, what happened to the bloom? 
And naturally, like you do, you blame your two-year-old brother. What did Henry do to the bloom? And so Hillary and I have to launch into a conversation about the cycles of life and what happens when you pull a flower from its vine. When you pull a branch from its vine, it withers, it gets dry, it loses its life and vitality, and it begins the process of dying and going away. Friends, you are a branch. You need to stay connected to your life source to be who God has intended you to be. Just a couple of nights ago, the last night when I was home before I came here, I woke up in the middle of the night, it was about 3 a.m., and I was stressed out and I couldn't fall back asleep. I had stuff going on back home. Our church is moving into a new building and there's construction things and issues and personnel issues and fundraising issues and I have a lot to do and so I was, I was kind of stressed about it. Couldn't sleep. And as I'm laying there 3 a.m., I see a light in the hallway. And at first it startles me and then it's kind of bouncing and it's kind of low to the ground and I think, maybe that's Jack, my four-year-old coming downstairs. Sure enough, he walks into the bedroom. He's got a little flashlight. I don't even know where he got it from, but he's holding this flashlight, four years old, comes into the bedroom, Dad. I hear him first because my side of the bed is on the door side of the bed because I'm pretending that I'm the protector. And you know, and so I hear him come in and, Dad, yeah, Jack, I had a bad dream. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. I have this good reaction because I've been awake for a while already, a better reaction than I might have otherwise had. And I get out of bed, and I just grab him, and I say, I'm so sorry, buddy. Let me walk you back to bed. And so I take him back up to his room. I lay him down in his bed, pull the blanket over him, kiss him on the face, and just say, buddy, what was your bad dream about? He goes, those monsters. Those monsters were trying to get me. Said, buddy, there's no monsters in this house. You got daddy, mommy, your brother Henry, you, it's just us. And you can pray to God if those thoughts come into your mind because he's with you, he's got you, and you can sleep peacefully the rest of the night. He goes, okay. And he closes his eyes and I begin to walk out of the room and I say, I love you, buddy, and I give him the thumbs up. And he looks back at me and gives me the thumbs up. And I just had this sense, this is what it's all about. This is what matters. This is a connection in this moment to God in some way, that he has gifted me with a family and that my love for my son is just a shadow of the love that your heavenly father has for you. Did you know that? And I had just previously been so stressed out that I couldn't sleep, anxious, insecure, feeling those feelings about such smaller things. And I allowed them to disconnect me from God and a right perspective about what matters in this life. And it was my four-year-old having a nightmare that jolted me back into what matters and wanted me, inspired me to stay connected and go to sleep and trust that God's in control. As I was flying here on Friday, uh, took Delta, good airline, good people, uh, good. Except for one of the legs of the flight, I was, 
I forgot to change my seat, and I ended up accidentally in a middle row. Not a big deal, but 6'3", bad knees from sports. It's kind of tough. And so I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable in this middle row. And then I want to get some work done, so I open up my laptop, and I put it on the thing, and it seems like the guy in front of me knew that I had done that, and he promptly reclines his chair, and my screen goes down two more inches, and I'm just like, okay, great. This is just great. I need to get work done. I don't even fit in this seat. This is not going to work, and I'm frustrated, and I'm on my way to talk about God at a church, and... And then just moments after that, when I've allowed myself to kind of spin toward a negative attitude, the flight attendant walks past. It's her second time through, and this time, instead of just talking with everybody in the rows, she's singling out the military personnel that are on this flight, 26 of them, in fatigues, with their massive backpacks and their boots and they are on the flight and they're surrounding my area in the center of this plane. In fact, the guy in front of me who reclined his chair was one of these in the army. And as she's walking through, she is saying to these military men and women in active duty, can I get you a lunchbox or a drink? There's a woman up front that wants to pay for all of your lunch and for all of you to have a drink. And some of them politely decline. A bunch of them say yes, and they start ordering their stuff. And I hear her as she whispers to one of the older servicemen that's sitting there. And she says, it's a woman who lost her son in battle. And she wants to express her gratitude for what you all do. And I'm the jerk in the middle seat <laughs> complaining about being a little bit uncomfortable. Now thinking about how uncomfortable it might be in a war zone. How uncomfortable it might feel to lose your child. And in that moment, God used the generosity of this woman to reconnect me to him. Because I had gotten distracted and discouraged and had a bad attitude and spun out a little bit. And in that moment, I was able to have a renewed perspective about what really matters. And that there's a God that designed this universe and created me and who holds those loved ones that we've lost in the palm of his hand and holds the hearts of those grieving mothers in his hands and goes with these soldiers into battle and goes with me and my issues. There's a God who created me and who created you to stay connected to him because he is your source of life and you can't do it on your own. I have one last image for you that perhaps you can identify with. I hope that this will stick with you as you go. It's, it's an image of a treadmill. 
Now, how many of you would be honest enough to say that maybe in the past, not, not today, but in the past, you've had a problem where someone that you know has had a problem with purchasing exercise equipment that no longer is in use? Anybody? Anybody in that camp? Good, a lot of us. Yet you're not alone. And so what happens is we have this thought that we want to practice this new habit. We want to do this new thing. And we want this exercise equipment. Maybe it's late night and you order it on TV. Maybe you're walking past in the mall and it's a Labor Day sale. And you're just, I'm going for it. But sooner or later, the momentum fizzles. You lose your mountaintop motivation. And now the thing is just a place where you toss clothes. It's just collecting dust. Imagine how sad the engineer or the designer of said treadmill is if it sees it in your basement or in your bonus room just as a clothes hamper. That is not what this machine was designed for. But if you plug it back in, if you turn it on, if you hit quick start, <laughs> and you just start going, all of a sudden, the thing comes to life, and it begins to have purpose again, and it begins to be used for the thing that its designer designed it for, which is to give you exercise, to move your heart, to keep you healthy. The thing has purpose because it has power. And friends, it's the same with you. You were designed to be plugged in to your life source. And until you are, you don't even know how much power God will give you, how much strength he has for you, what he has purposed for you in this life. But you need to be plugged in. You need to stay connected to him, to be all that he created you to be, to live the life that he has designed you to live. Now, I know that there are a number of us in this room, at our regional campuses, watching online, who have yet to plug in to God, their life source. Maybe you've heard people talk about that and it feels weird, but something is happening today or recently and there's something is clicking. I have just a little bit more to talk about in a moment, but before we move to that, I wanna give you an opportunity. If you fall into that camp, I wanna invite you to pray a simple prayer today Invite God to power up your life. There's no magic to these particular words, but I want to invite everyone, everyone at the regional campuses and watching online and in this room, if you would just pause for 30 seconds and pray this prayer with me. God, I believe that you are the source of my life, both now and for all eternity. I'm sorry that I have chosen to live disconnected from you on my own, in my own ways. But I believe that that's why Jesus came, to save this world, including me. Jesus died but didn't stay dead. He rose to new life and offers me this new life as well. And I choose life, and I choose to stay connected to you, my God, my creator, my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you are here in this room or at one of the other campuses, I want to encourage you to grab the bulletin that you were handed when you walked in. And even though I'm a guest here, I want you to not be a guest here anymore, to feel like this is your home. There are people here that want to help you on that journey. If you would fill out this connect card and drop it in a box at the back when you leave, 
great people want to be a resource to you as you follow and stay connected to your God. If you're online, you can just click the next steps box. Now, for all of us, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I want to give you one last practical suggestion. I want to give you a few staying habits that I use in my life. Now remember, before I give you these, you have to remember, you don't do habits and you don't practice disciplines for the sake of the discipline itself. You don't want to make that an idol. You don't want to obsess about that thing because then you become religious. And as Paul encouraged us, you've been set free from religiosity. You don't have to do the hoops, hurdles, and handshakes to be a part of the club. The only reason that you practice these habits is for the sake of staying connected to your God. And in that vein, here's some things that I do. I just wanted to share them with you. I practice the following. Praying in the car. Maybe it's just a trigger. It's a mechanism. You get in the car, instead of automatically turning on music or the podcast, you spend the first two minutes praying. And you just pray as you start to drive. Gratitude reflection. That might be the most important thing that I do on a daily basis, almost daily basis, is just list out things, either in my journal or out loud, that I am grateful for. Because gratitude will change your attitude. Morning meditation, clearing my mind of all the worries and anxieties so that I can be grateful, so that I can receive from my God. Life group meetings, being connected in community, playing with kids. This is a big one for me, getting off the couch and onto the floor and playing with the boys. There's something about it. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, childlike, it's tough for you to understand the ways of God. Physical exercises go on listening Walking, talking to God, journaling, circling prayers. I read a good book, Circle Maker, about writing down your prayers and circling them and circling them and circling them until you see God answer them one way or another. Just keep coming back, circling those prayers, believing that God will still move mountains in this time, in this day, in your life. Let those be habits, staying habits that are helpful to you. But remember, it's not a formula. You don't have to do the habit that grandma told you to do. My wife, Hillary, she doesn't do the habits that I do. If she tried to sit and read for more than five minutes, she would take that stick and poke herself. She, she doesn't operate that way. She likes to move, she likes to talk with people, she likes to listen to scripture through her iPhone. She, she operates in a different way and that's okay. The point is, however you connect to God, you connect to God. You practice that habit for the sake of staying connected to your life source because you, my friend, are a branch. And you and I must stay connected to the power source. Don't get it twisted. It's not about the practices, it's about the person walking with that invisible spirit of God, talking with him, allowing him to produce the fruit in you, not forcing it on your own. Would you stand with me? If you would like to pray or talk with someone specifically one-on-one before you leave today, please come down front and there will be leaders that are here and available to pray with you. I simply wanna pray a a blessing over you before you leave. 
May God bless you. And may he keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you. May he give you peace as you plug into your power source. The power that is still moving mountains on your behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.